territory. You know, by the way, in your friendly territory, if your richest entrepreneurial friend was your first pitch, that was probably an error, right? And you probably didn't take your richest first entrepreneurial friend as your first pitch, right? You, you saved it for when you sort of iterated and got the pitch better. So even within people that you're close to and you trust, you still created some of that hierarchy versus saying, well, who am I going to learn the most from? You know, who, who can I learn the most from in this context? Who is going to give me the clearest feedback so that my next time I iterate, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Brad Feld. If you missed part one, please go back and learn about his new book, The Startup Community Way, and the founder group is Venture Capital Fund and Techstars and, and some interesting philosophical questions that, that I think are uh, something we should all be pondering. Maybe it's a shift of gears here for part two, Brad. I'm interested in your advice. You know, we're, we're starting this new real estate investment trust, and we're trying to do a model that we haven't seen anyone else do. And where we're going much more direct to consumer, we're not going after the pension funds and we're not uh, going after traditional routes of capital for, for people like us. We're trying to go to investors that kind of the big guys on Wall Street don't really care about. We're going after like, you know, successful entrepreneurs who don't buy their investments from financial planners or stockbrokers, right? And um, we're trying to use the media like we're basically instead of trying to hope to get mentioned in the media we're we're starting our own like mini bloomberg our own mini media channel so we can give ourselves free advertising but as a result we get a lot of folks who go man you don't fit the mold and they're scared of us or you know it's taking a lot more work to to get people to to see our opportunity and so my my question for you is talking to entrepreneurs who are doing you know they're taking Something that's worked in the past and they're trying to remix it. What kind of advice do you have for, for somebody in our space who's, who's trying to do, you know, remix something that used to be done and do it differently? Well, I'd start with a couple of different thoughts that I think are linked together. One is one of the challenges I think that so many people have when they're presented with something new is they try to map it to what they're used to, which is a little bit of the problem you're describing. And if you go back in history and look at massive shifts, and you know one that immediately comes to mind as you're talking is how stocks are purchased and traded. You think about the massive shift that occurred going back 40, 50 years, and how you know stocks were traded prior and how stocks are traded today. And you think about multiple points of evolution, right? In, in that evolution, you had very, very significant disruption and changes from things like John Bogle at Vanguard, you know, Charles Schwab at Schwab or E-Trade and on and on. And today, even in 2020, you have, again, massive disruption from companies like Robinhood. And if you look at each of those and, you know, we haven't even touched on things like, you know, ETFs and, you know, all different types of approaches to mutual funds you know, which Vanguard was a piece of that, but it was a very different approach to the whole thing. If you go back, I think, and look at the beginning of any of it, there was huge resistance. Partly that resistance came from the incumbents and the incumbent way of doing things. Part of it came from the new idea 
uh, and the new approach and whether or not that new approach was easy to implement. And in a lot of cases, the new approach was challenging to implement. And then on top of that, you know, you often, often have technology lag. So video conferencing would be a good contemporary example of it, right? We're in 2020 and video conferencing is pervasive. In 2019, video conferencing was not pervasive, even well, though it was pervasive. Yeah. In, in 2016, I had Eric Wan, the CEO of Zoom, on this show, right? And Zoom was not Zoom yet, right? That's right. And in 2016, there was quite good video conferencing solutions. And so it's this interesting dynamic where, you know, you can go through many, many different versions of that, right? Telemedicine in the COVID crisis, I like to say, made 10 years of progress in four weeks. You know, you just needed to do it. And so I think when you're thinking about, you know, the, the question you asked and the new business, the new business approach you're taking is to recognize that your goal is not to convert everybody on day one. Your goal is to convert enough people on day one. And if you use the Bezos language of every day is day one, right? You wake up the next day and you convert enough new people the next day one. And then you convert enough new people the next day one. And you're converting people on multiple dimensions. You're converting people as investors. You're converting people as users. You're converting people as customers. And recognizing that you don't have to get them all on day one. And really what you are trying to do is not, at least I don't think you're trying to disrupt something in a way where it's, you know, you have a very finite amount of time to do it. In most categories, you're going to have competitors, but you're going to have more time than you think. And it's going to take you more time than you think. And every now and then you may be wrong and it happens much faster. And usually when it does, then you're just trying to hang on for dear life, right? It's a good thing, not a bad thing when it happens much faster. But most of the time it takes longer. And the things that you're putting in place in your first versions or even your second versions or your third versions are not quite good enough to really make the other thing go away completely. And then all of a sudden you have what we talk about in the startup community ways, a, 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 phase, a phase transformation or a phase shift. Lots and lots and lots of little things happen over a period of time. And then all of a sudden you have this phase shift to a completely new plane. And it's as though like the other stuff was irrelevant. Like why did anybody do it the old way? And now you're in the new way. And what you're searching for is rather than trying to force the phase shift, try to force the phase shift, it won't work. It very rarely does. But if you do all the little things along the way, in that moment where there's an accumulation of those and there's enough critical mass, then suddenly everybody starts buying their books online. Yeah. Maybe, maybe related. My next question would be, you know, I look at ways that we have done things at previous fund and other stuff, and we're trying to recombine a number of, like we've tried a million different things. Most of them didn't work, but there's a small handful that did work, you know? And so... Like we're, instead of, like I said, instead of going to like big pension funds who can write one big check or going to a, you know, a Merrill Lynch or somebody and trying to get all their planners to, to do it, we're actually going to go like very analog on that side and recruit our own nationwide commission-only sales force, licensed reps, right? And then we're trying to go to the other end of the spectrum of using a regulation A plus to get people to buy the investment directly off the website without even talking to us, you know? And, and so I guess my next question is, where we do have like kind of a multi-pronged go-to-market approach or you know multi-pronged customer acquisition approach, I have a tendency to firehose people and like overwhelm them with details. So my question is, if you have any guidance of thinking through the like, when you're first pitching people, the like giving them enough so they can sink their teeth into it without drowning people in details and like um, overdoing it. 
Well, it's a uh, chronic problem in most most new things, right? Where you you understand really deeply what you're doing, and so then it becomes hard to translate that in very simple ways <clears throat> to the people you want to engage with you. And this is where I think Eric Reese's Lean Startup book and the work that he did with Lean Startup was brilliant. When you know, and it, you know, built on what Steve Blank did with customer driven development. You Who's coming on the show next week, by the way? Steve Blank's on the oh, show good. next week. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm followed by by a master. I mean, Steve, Steve is is one of the deep thinkers that I've learned an enormous amount from. And, you know, Steve Steve's basic message was, you know, get out of the building, go talk to your customer. And Eric's basic message was do lots of little experiments, have a bunch of them fail, learn from each of them. And I just combined those two. Like literally. Go talk to the people who you want to engage at the different dimensions of this and talk and get their feedback. And it's, you know, we talked about it early with the book, right? Like I wrote, Ian and I wrote the first version of the book we knew sucked. We didn't have to go ask people if it sucked. We, we could tell it sucked. But the second version of it, we thought was pretty good. And we showed it to a bunch of people. The feedback was, you know, good stuff in here, but lots of stuff that doesn't work. Could we have gotten that earlier if we put more pieces out? Maybe, but we really needed, you know, it's a book. We really needed to develop enough of it so that people could look at it in, in the whole uh, of it. But if you're building a company, like at each incremental step along the way, you know, okay, try this dimension of the product, try this dimension of the thing, try that dimension of the thing. And we see it in our portfolio companies. The companies that do the best are the ones that are endlessly iterating with their customer message. They're endlessly iterating with the way that they're talking, not just to their prospective customers, but their existing customers. The ones that sort of settle in and become routinized and rigid and don't don't constantly try new things are the ones that, you know, that tend to stall. You know, that's that's such great advice. And I think it is, I think for me, I just need to like accept the fact that like anything do, doing, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until I can do it well, you know, because... I like right now where we're raising the the C capital for our management company. I don't want to burn any potential investors by not having the message perf perfectly dialed. Right. Where as I'm listening to you talk, I'm realizing like, no, I need to fall back on the, like, you can have anything you want in life. If you're willing to ask at least a thousand people. Right. And I just need to be honest. Like I am never going to have it perfect until it's been battle tested. And per like, I'm never going to have it perfect, but I'm not even going to have it amazing or really good until it's been battle tested enough times. And that might mean getting through, getting through a number of those first folks who they don't end up becoming investors because my first experiments weren't good enough at all. Right. And that's okay. If I can keep, if I can keep going and keep iterating and keep talking to more potential customers, you know, which in this case is investor at the management company level, I guess my, my next thought is thinking about this idea of, of consistently iterating the messaging if somebody wants maybe some more practical tips on what that looks like, have you seen people do that as like a weekly meeting? Is it just a mindset? What, what does that look like? Well, the, you know, the irony, of course, is that if you go back in time to, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and even today, many consumer product companies still use focus groups, right? You know, and, and that, so that metaphor, that notion is not new. My own view of how best to do it is you toss stuff out there you test it, you know, you measure the efficacy of what you toss out there and then you change it and then you measure the efficacy of it and then you change it and you measure the efficacy of it. You can get sophisticated about it and do, you know, two messages, A, B testing and see which one, you know, attracts better. It depends on what your business is. 
for what you're describing, where you're talking to a bunch of investors, like it'd be easy to sort of automate all that, but it's more powerful to spend the time for, with 20 or 30 potential prospects and have a conversation with them and listen carefully for what questions they're asking you. You're not trying to convince them that you're right and that your message is right. You're putting your message out there and then you're listening for the questions that come back. And then on conversation two, you're incorporating those questions into what you're pitching. And then you listen for the questions that come back and you refine again for conversation number three. And 20 later, you'll probably have a pretty good pitch. You know, uh, this makes me think back to part one of this interview where you're talking about detachment, you know? And for me, like, I think that because mostly, you know, the first 20 people I've gone to have been more like, you know, wealthy entrepreneur friends. And we're finally just getting to the part where the first ones are ready to write checks, right? But what I haven't done is been willing to go to those people a little further outside the social network, a little less warm, who are maybe going to be a little more brutal, right? A little less forgiving. But to me, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about what you were saying earlier about detachment of like, if I could do that from this place of learning and be able to kind of like set my own desires aside and just be there to learn instead of hoping that they're magically going to love my pitch right off the bat. I wonder if that isn't kind of what I was looking for out of that question is, you know, like you said, like almost like pitch to learn instead of pitch to land the client. Well said. And I'm going to modify your, yeah. your words just a tiny bit and encourage you to use the phrase non-attachment instead of detachment. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. But it's a, because, it's a good distinction. Yeah, because for me, detachment means you don't give it. Whereas non-attachment, you're listening. You're not emotionally responding. You're not judging yourself based on what the response is. You're not feeling good or bad depending on what they do. Yeah. Uh, you, you're not vested in the outcome. Um, you're trying to learn. And that allows, as you, you sort of circle out, by the way, it's not that you have this expectation that as you go into more less friendly territory, you know, by the way, in your friendly territory, if your richest entrepreneurial friend was your first pitch, that was probably an error, right? And you probably didn't take your richest first entrepreneurial friend as your first pitch, right? You, you saved that for when you sort of iterated and got the pitch better. So even within people that you're close to and you trust, you still created some of that hierarchy versus saying, well, who am I going to learn the most from? You know, who, who can I learn the most from in this context? Who is going to give me the clearest feedback? so that my next time I iterate is going to be better, so that the next time I iterate is going to be better. I love it. Well, listen, I know we're out of time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, everybody, please go to Amazon and check out the Startup Community Way, Brad's new book. Anything to leave us with, Brad? Just a lot of fun, Jess. Thanks for, thanks for wandering around with me in the, in, the, in the very fruitful fields of philosophy and stoicism alongside of entrepreneurship. Well, I feel like we should have you back on sometime, maybe when you're doing your next book and like literally just do an hour about philosophy. Be fun. Well, the next book, since it's about Nietzsche, that would, that would be a good target. So okay, let's look do it. For that in It'll be out in 2021 sometime. Okay, great. Bye, everyone.